This is the Biz News Podcast, one-on-one conversations with experts in business and personal development. If you ask 10 Americans what they know about Chief Joseph or the Nez Perce War, 11 would probably draw a blank. But could there be a parallel to the current war in Ukraine and a war in the Western United States nearly a century and a half ago? Attorney, author, and historian Julie Sullivan says a definite yes. The author of the new historical novel Bone Necklace, Ms. Sullivan says both wars are David and Goliath struggles, a small but determined army facing overwhelming odds. Julie Sullivan joins us for this Biz News interview podcast. Let's start, if you don't mind, by telling our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself. I am a lawyer by training. I'm an American lawyer and an English solicitor and uh, international arbitrator. Bone Necklace is my first novel, but it's one I've been working on. It's kind of a passion project for over 20 years. So I'm really excited to finally get it across the finish line. Now, the novel itself deals with what? The novel is inspired by what is known as America's Last Indian War, in which a small band of Nez Perce evaded four converging armies uh, for four months while their families escaped to Canada. It's, um, it's a story that really captured my imagination because while it's iconic in some ways, the army attacking a small band of Native Americans, it doesn't end the way most people would expect it to. How did the actual uh, war end? Uh, the Nez Perce retreated, they, uh, starting from Oregon uh, through Idaho, Montana, down to Wyoming, back up through Montana to the Canadian border, almost 1,200 miles. And um, they were finally encircled about 30 miles south of the Canadian border. So they divided up into two groups. At that point, they had two surviving chiefs. Uh, One led those who were still able to travel the remaining 30 miles to Canada, and the other stayed behind with those who were too sick, too tired, too injured to uh, travel that final distance. Now, you have more than a little familiarity with the nation of Ukraine. Would you give our viewers and listeners your background there? Sure. I Um, For years, I've been working with a group called the Center for International Legal Studies. And in 2016, they sent me to Ukraine um, to lecture at a couple of universities on energy policy. Uh, So I spent three weeks with my husband in Ukraine. Uh, We flew into Kiev, spent some time there. Uh, Then we traveled to Zaporizhia which is the location of the nuclear power plant on which Russian forces fired about 10 days ago, sort somewhat infamously. Um, and we spent most of our time in Berdansk, which is on the Sea of Azov. Berdansk is now in Russian control. So I have lots of friends in Ukraine, have been in constant communication with them, and it's um, absolutely heartbreaking to see what's happening there. 
From your research into your novel and your experience in Ukraine, what parallels do you see between the two events? Oh, lots of parallels, actually. Um, the first and maybe most obvious is that both wars were essentially a land grab um, in which the aggressor uh, spread lies about the current occupants as justification for taking the land in the Nez Perce War, um, the notion that Native American cultures uh, were somehow fatally flawed and incapable of integrating into white society was the justification for taking their land and confining them to reservations. In the Ukraine war, the justification given by Vladimir Putin is that um, the Ukrainian president is a Nazi and that they are um, committing indiscriminate violence against people of Russian descent. Uh, but both, both are complete fabrications, um, in my view. The Ukrainian president is actually a former comedian, I guess, as opposed to a Nazi. Uh, tell us about Chief Joseph of the Nez Perce. Um, well, you know, a second parallel between these two conflicts is, of course, the rise of uh, these unexpected leaders, right? So um, Chief Joseph, uh, what became known as the Red Napoleon during the Nez Perce War, and the name stuck, uh, the fact that he became known as a military leader was surprising to nobody so much as Joseph himself. Joseph had never been a warrior. He had never engaged in violence. Um, he had always been a diplomat. He was an eloquent, elegant, peaceful man who uh, took up arms only when he really had no alternative. He would have done anything to avoid the war that made him famous, but he did rise to the occasion um, and I think somewhat similarly, Zelensky uh, is a comedian and an entertainer. This is the first um, elected office he ever ran for or held. He was voted into office by an overwhelming majority of the Ukrainian people who rejected alternatives that were either closely aligned with the West or closely aligned with Russia. They were just looking for a Ukrainian nationalist and uh, Zelensky has truly, truly risen to the occasion. I don't know if you had an opportunity to watch his speech this morning and the powerful video that he showed, but he has really united not only the Ukrainian people, but I think uh, the entire Western world behind his effort to maintain Ukraine's independence. So when when there, there are many, many tragedies about both of these wars, but um, the, the unexpected rise of leaders like Joseph and Zelensky is uh, one of the things that can give us hope. It would seem that both the Nez Perce people and the Ukrainian people are caught between the famous rock and the famous hard place. What uh, what conclusions do you draw there? Well, sometimes um, sometimes life doesn't give us good choices. It gives us bad choices to decide 
among um, in both wars, uh, you had these David and Goliath battles. Um, in the Nez Perce case, it was a small band of fewer than 200 warriors at the start of the war up against the United States Army. Um, and in Ukraine, you have um, the Ukrainian military up against, you know, one of the largest militaries in the world uh, with, with really no hope of defeating them on a battlefield. The, the game is to, um, to evade, uh, to, to hold up until help arrives. Um, uh, and, and for the civilians, again, in both cases, you see um, in the, in the Nez Perce War, as I mentioned, when they were encircled 30 miles from the Canadian border, um, they really just had to divide into two groups, those who could make it to Canada and those who had to stay behind to hold the army. And in Ukraine, you see the same thing, millions of women and children leaving Ukraine while 18 to 60 year old men are prohibited from leaving because they're needed to fight. So. You know, it's families torn apart. Um, it's uh, it, it's just it's just heartbreaking how um, how the ambition of a few can cause such damage and destruction. Now, of the Nez Perce who fled to Canada successfully, how many uh, returned to the United States? That is a very good question. There were. Almost 300 uh, who we can, who we know escaped to Canada because they were, um, there are documents from the Canadian government. Um, and then there were others who, uh, who may have escaped to Canada, but didn't go through the formal uh, political asylum process. Um, and we know some of them eventually returned. <clears throat> there was a famous warrior named Yellow Wolf and he escaped to Canada. He was wounded in the war five times, including a bullet to the head, miraculously survived, um, escaped to Canada. Uh, but he eventually chose to return and live on a reservation with uh, his relative, Chief Joseph. And we know others did, too, eventually chose to live in confinement with their families rather than maintain their freedom in Canada. But I can't tell you exactly how many, uh, I'm not I'm not sure. I know that there is still to this day a um, not insignificant Nez Perce diaspora in Canada. Um, so the tribe is actually somewhat splintered. There are some in Canada, there are some um, on the reservation where Joseph died in Washington state. There are some on their original reservation in Idaho. There are some who um, were sent to Leavenworth, Kansas immediately after the war. And then there's some who moved off the reservation and are, um, you know, still enrolled members, but they live all over the world. So um, they, they really became quite fragmented because of the conflict. Julie, does your uh, novel have a happy ending? Well, um, it has as happy an ending as this kind of story can have. Uh, you know, other books have really focused on the 500 Nez Perce who were captured or killed in the war. I've really tried to focus and celebrate the nearly 300 who 
escaped, who never submitted, who never gave up, who brought rocks to a gunfight and somehow not only won, but, you know, humiliated the other side, who, while under attack, managed to uh, gain public opinion and win public opinion to a degree that, you know, it was not even politically possible to punish by hanging the chiefs uh, after they were caught, which which would have been expected at the time. So I really want to celebrate those 300 who who never gave up, who preserve their culture, who give us hope when situations feel hopeless. Is that the lesson that can be learned from the Nez Perce War and perhaps also applied to the current war in Ukraine? I think there are a number of lessons. I think, yes, there is that um, that idea that leaders will rise, that people will rise to the occasion, that even uh, when the odds seem hopeless, it's not necessarily hopeless, that sometimes fighting and losing is better than surrendering. Um, it's... Uh, but, but but it's also intended as a lesson of caution regarding the lies we tell to justify our own selfish behavior. Um, I mentioned earlier that uh, at the time, and even even in more modern times, it's very common in um, in history books, in literature, in films, to portray Native Americans as if some fatal flaw in their character or their culture doomed them to a brutal fate. It's a narrative that places the blame squarely on the victim, just as Vladimir Putin places the blame on the Ukrainians, just as Adolf Hitler placed the blame on the Jews. Um, it's a pattern that repeats over and over. And I hope it can be viewed as a cautionary tale to check our own ambition and really think about why we're doing some of the things we're doing. Julie, you probably have a website or some place where our audience could get more information. What would that be? I do. Thank you. It's juliasullivanauthor.com. What would you like to add that we have not had a chance to uh, talk about? Um, well, I think you did a great job of covering it, actually. Um, I, uh, I, I hope people will, will read the book. It's, um, it's iconic in a way, uh, an iconic tale of the West, but it, it is sort of different in that it doesn't focus on the tragedy. It focuses on the, on the triumph of the human spirit um, and the survival of the Nespers. And um, it's gotten really good reviews so far, so I hope people will enjoy it. Here is the final portion of Mr. Zelensky's address to Congress, which he delivered in English. Today, today it's not enough to be the leader of the nation. Today it takes to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Peace 
in your country doesn't depend anymore only on you and your people. It depends on those next to you, on those who are strong. Strong doesn't mean weak. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens and citizens of the world, for human rights, for freedom, for the right to live decently and to die when your time comes and not when it's wanted by someone else, by your neighbor. Today, the Ukrainian people are defending not only Ukraine, we are fighting for the values of Europe and the world, sacrificing our lives in the name of the future. That's why today the American people are helping not just Ukraine, but Europe and the world to keep the planet alive, to keep justice in history. Now I'm almost 45 years old. Today my age stopped when the hearts of more than 100 children stopped beating. I see no sense in life if it cannot stop the death. And this is my main mission as the leader of my people, great Ukrainians. And as the leader of my nation, I am addressing the President Biden. You are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Thank you. Slava Ukraine. You've been watching the Biz News Podcast. We welcome your input. Send your email to editor at biznews.com. Thanks for watching.